The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I'd ask that you pray for me this morning. I'm always uh, reminded, I think I say this often, when I get up here that I'm not worthy to be here, I'm not worthy to worship the God that we serve. And sometimes that's uh, very discouraging to me. It makes me want to just go back home and crawl in a hole somewhere. But this morning, it was actually encouraging to me uh, because what I want to talk about this morning, I believe a a sinner is very qualified to talk about. I want to talk about love and, and specifically the love that God has for you, the love that God has even for me, <laughs> um, and, and then our, our love specifically. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 7, that's where we'll start. I want to talk to you about the problem of love. And when I say that, that may get your attention because love is never seen as a problem. But what I want to talk about is the problem of not having enough love. Have you ever felt that where you just, you have moments where you you feel uh, the zeal for God, you feel the passion for Him, you feel the love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but have you ever had that feeling where it it just kind of grows cold a little bit and, and distant? And you, and you can't seem to muster up any more love for the Lord or any more love for each other. That's where I want us, uh, with that mindset, I want us to go into to Luke 7 and verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him and went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now, I, I like to, when I'm reading through this, I really like to imagine myself as that poor sinner washing Jesus' feet and, and, and just pouring out my soul before him. But in, in reality, I believe I probably would have been this, this Pharisee sitting there thinking, this, is, this woman is filthy. This woman is a woman of the streets. She's a sinner. You know, Lord, you don't need to hang out with her. But I love this. He has this thought in his mind, and Jesus interrupts his thought. And and Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Now, I I love how our Savior is so direct in in uh, in interrupting this thought. Can you just imagine uh, perhaps Simon having a little uh, little nerves as he says, Master, say on. And so Jesus goes into this parable. It says, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence 
and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. We'll continue reading this. We'll just finish this out. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. There's several things, many things to talk about here. I want us to look at this, this parable. So the parable is of two people, and they owe a debt. One owes 500 pence, and one owes 50. And the Lord forgives them both. And then he asks Simon, he says, which one do you think would love him more? Well, obviously the one that had been forgiven most, right? And then, he, and then he compares that to the situation that they're facing right then. He says, this woman has done all of these things, whereas I'm the guest in your house and you haven't done any of these things for me. And then he says, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I want you to, to realize that the fact that she loved the Lord does not forgive her of her sins. That's exactly what this parable is all about. That sometimes we get the causation out of order. She loves much because she knows her sins are forgiven. She knows that she's a sinner and she's coming before a righteous God. And she feels in her heart, she knows that this man forgives my sins. And she comes to him weeping. And, and, you know, perhaps perhaps even she is coming before him in anguish, knowing that she is a sinner. Knowing that there is no way under the law that I can make it into heaven to see this righteous God. Whereas the Pharisee, he was thinking, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm on track to make it there. I've kept the law. I'm doing great. You know, I don't hang out with sinners like this woman. But he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And he says, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. What is he doing there? The fact that she comes at all and has love for him is the evidence. It's the evidence that she has been forgiven, that she has been born again. What he's doing here is he is giving her peace of mind. I love it when the Lord does that for me. I love it when the Lord reminds me again of His love for me. 
The very fact that you have anguish in your soul is proof to you that He has blessed you, that He has given you that forgiveness. I want to go to another, another passage. Let's go to Matthew 18. And we'll look at verse 21. Now, interestingly, we're talking about love. And this parable that, that Jesus speaks here in Matthew 18 is about forgiveness. But I, I want you to see that love and forgiveness are so closely related. As a matter of fact, I believe that this is one of the main ways that we enact our love toward one another. is through forgiveness. And you'll notice how very similar these, these uh, parables are. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? I love Peter. I love Peter. I, I, I feel like many of us can relate to him. He wants, he, he, he's talking to the master. He knows this is the man to ask questions to. And he wants, he wants to have some firm figure that he can work with. Jesus saith unto him, I say unto thee until seven times, uh, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. That's an unpayable debt. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. So an, un, an unpayable debt gets forgiven. But the same servant went out. And found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. That'd be like, oh, like somebody that owes you ten bucks. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He, this, this fellow servant gives the same plea to him that he had just given to his master. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. How are these, how are these two related? We see in the, in the one where, where Jesus is, is talking to this, this Pharisee, where one realized how much he had been forgiven. 
where, where this sinner that came before him and anointed his feet had realized what a sinner she was and how much she had been forgiven for, of him. But then you have a servant here who was, who was forgiven a debt he can never repay. But he doesn't, he doesn't get it. It doesn't sink in. He doesn't remember. As soon as he walks away from that, that uh, debt forgiveness, he forgets all about it. He is not grasping what it means that his master forgave him that debt. And so he goes around and he has no room for mercy for anyone else. You know, the problem of love, the problem of not having enough love is, is, is not that you're, you're not trying hard enough, maybe. When I notice that I have a lack of love for you or a lack of love for my Lord, you know what the problem is? The problem is I've forgotten who I am. Amen. I've forgotten what a wicked sinner I am. Amen. Think about Jesus teaching on, on prayer, and he uses the, the publican and the Pharisee as an example. The, the Pharisee sits there and he prays within himself and he says, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like these other people. I'm thankful that I'm not like this uh, publican here. You know, it's really not a prayer of admiration or, or a prayer of thanksgiving or, or a prayer uh, for any supplication. This is, a, this is just a prayer of, of, of him lifting himself up. I mean, he's, he's essentially praying to himself. But then, to contrast that, you've got this publican, this person who made his living on extorting his brothers. And he comes before God and he says, Lord, he says, I'm not even worthy to look up to heaven. And he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you think he understood who he was? Now, what's the difference between those two people in the eyes of God? They are both bankrupt sinners. That Pharisee needs the blood of Christ just as much as that publican to get into heaven, right? But he doesn't understand that because he thinks he's got something that he's bringing to the table. He thinks that he is doing all these things to live righteously and he's deceiving himself. <laughs> and that's one of the dangers of having a checklist. That's one of the dangers that, you know, Peter was asking the Lord, you know, is seven times good enough? That's the danger of having a checklist is because once you check it off, then you can puff yourself up and you feel like, man, I'm, I'm really good. You know, Lord, I, I really deserve to be walking with you today. And when you do that, <laughs> you have missed out. When you, when you see yourself like that, your love for the Lord begins to die. Why is that? Because you don't need the Lord. It's not such a special thing that he loves you anymore. But when you see yourself as that publican and, and you have that attitude within yourself, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's when you realize how special it is that our, that our righteous God, our righteous Savior would come and he would die for you. That he would come and that he would hold your hand and be with you in the dark nights and help you through your problems. That's when it's special. That God loves even me. 
And that's why as I, as I prayed this morning, and as I would normally feel so discouraged to get up here before you, I felt, I felt a blessing of the Lord. Because I knew I'm not qualified to be up here. Praise God that I can feel in those moments that it is special that God loves me. That's special that He loves you. Because I'm not bringing anything to the table. I deserve hell. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel message. It's not that some people deserve heaven and some people deserve hell and that God is just going to um, be unrighteous in the way that he, that he sends people to hell. No, the truth is we all deserve hell. So it's not, a, it's not about that. It's about His mercy. It's about His love. That He would have compassion on anybody. That He would have compassion on me. Think about Paul. You know, Paul, when he was persecuting the church, he had zeal, right? He had, he had passion. But what was that passion about? That passion was about keeping control of this rebellion, right? That, and in many ways, Christianity was and still is a rebellion. And he, he had this pride that, that he was of the old way, he was of the best way. He was going to live righteously, and, and, and these people could not have their way. Think about him when the Lord comes to him, knocks him off his feet. And, and you know, I know this is speculation, but, but we know that Paul was a human, so we can guess that he was burdened by the things that he did to the church the rest of his life. As he sat there and as he went and he tried to minister to these people, you know that he had to get some, some uh, strange looks. And they thought, is, is, he just, is he just spying? Is he going to turn on us and turn us all in? You know that that hurt him to the day that he died. There's, there's, I, I believe Brother Buddy and Brother Chris also has pointed this out, um, that throughout the scriptures you see different steps of, of Paul's humility, right? There, there's the one where he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Well, man, that is, that is still way beyond me, right? That's still way beyond me to be the least of the apostles. Then he says that he is less than the least of all the saints. Now, that's something that maybe, you know, you and I could achieve, right? <laughs> to be the less, less than the least of all the saints. But then later in his life, he says that he is the chiefest of sinners. Now, I believe that he may, he may have been correct. You know, it's kind of a... Not a heated debate, but just kind of a, a speculation of whether that was a, a absolute true statement that he was the chiefest of sinners and nobody was worse than him. I tend to believe that that's an attitude that every child of God should have. That when you see yourself as the chiefest of sinners, you see yourself as the problem, that is when you see the Lord at his most beautiful Think about all the people that, that Jesus encountered, that, that they encountered Jesus. A lot, of, a lot of people you see at the end of their rope. You see them at their most vulnerable state. You know, I even think, and this is, Jesus did not appear, but the Lord spoke to this person. Think about Hagar, right? 
We often forget about Hagar, you know, uh, Sarah's handmaiden. But this was, this was a woman who had, who had had a child by Abraham. And then she was cast out. I mean, think about, think about what she did to deserve that. She was cast out into the wilderness, her and her child. Can you imagine that vulnerability? To have the responsibility of taking care of your child and knowing you can't do it out here in the wilderness. And to be rejected. And all she ever did was do what Sarah told her to do. And then you see where she, she puts the child, she hides him in a bush. And she goes away because she says, I can't bear to watch him die. And she goes off and she, she is accepting the fact that she has no hope. And God sees her. God sees her. You know that meant something to her. You know that, that she remembered that. What about the woman at the well? She goes out to get water. And you know that she had a terrible life. She, had had a, she was a serial adulterer. She had had a string of husbands. And, and, and currently she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. Can you imagine in, in that society the amount of rejection that she would have experienced? And then she went out at a different time of the day than all the other women. Why did she do that? Could it be that perhaps she knew that if she went out there with all the other women that she would get mocked? She would get ridiculed? She was a loser. And Jesus, Jesus, our Savior, came and spoke with her. He had an appointment with her. He derailed the disciples' schedule so that he could meet with that one woman. That one sinful woman. And, and you know, it's hard to tell on, on the timelines, but it is very possible that she was the first person that he publicly revealed himself as the Messiah to. It's very likely. Because many times he would heal somebody and he would say, don't tell anybody, keep it secret at the beginning of the ministry. But this was a time when he said, when he was okay with her going and telling the entire village and they, he spent several days there with these nasty Samaritans, right? That's our Lord. Don't you think that it meant something to her when she knew that she was an outcast? Even amongst the dirty Samaritans, she was an outcast. And she went to that well alone because she knew she wasn't welcome there. And Jesus came to her. When you see yourself as, as, as a sinner like you are, <laughs> that's when you experience the Lord. I know I, I often use the church in Laodicea Maybe it's just because that's my fear. <laughs> that's my fear that I will become like that. That I will lose my zeal. And I do. I do. If not daily, at least weekly, I go through periods of losing my zeal for you, for, for, uh, for our Savior. 
What was their problem? It was the same thing. They had decided, I, we're good. We're, we're wealthy. We're righteous. We've got all we need. And the Lord said, you need to find your value in me. I don't, I don't want to ever be uh, caught discouraging you, but this morning, I want to remind you that you are a sinner. Amen. Now, I'm not going to point out specific sins. There's no point in that. Satan does that good enough on his own. Amen. But you are a sinner. And you deserve to go to hell. I know that's not often preached. I get that. But I'm so thankful that my Savior, that your Savior came and He interrupted that. Amen. That I'm going to hell, I deserve to go to hell, I would have chosen to go to hell. But He interrupted that. Why? Because He loved you. Because He still loves you. Let's go to Luke 6 and I'm going to wrap this up. Luke 6, and, and we'll look at verse 27. So this is, this is what it should look like when you're, when you're loving the Lord, when you're loving other people, when you understand who you are. Luke 6 and verse 27 says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank of ye? For sinners also love those that love them. You know, this is, this is something that really gets me. <laughs> it is so easy for me to love uh, you all, you know, because I know that you love me too. But how hard is it, <laughs> how hard is it to love somebody that you know hates you? I mean, think about how, how radical this message is. And we do not see this in the world. You just don't see it. If, if you spend any time watching the news or any time on social media, and, and like I've done several times, you get your blood pressure starts to rise and you start thinking and diagramming how you are going to dismantle their arguments, right? And how you're going to tell them off. And, and that is glorified. That is so glorified. You, you know, I, I, I think about all the videos of like, you know, the press secretary and she's like telling people off that are asking questions. You know, there's a, there's a part that, that appeals to us. But what if, what if we were to do what Jesus told us to do? When people, when people attack us, we turn the other cheek. You know what kind of love that takes? Man, that takes all kind of love. 
But you can't just muster that up. You don't just create that within yourself. How does that happen? First, you see yourself for who you are. You know, because that's, that is what happens in my heart, at least. I can speak from experience on that. When somebody does something that, that makes me mad, why am I getting mad? It's because I feel like I deserve better. I don't deserve better. I don't deserve better. I deserve to be chewed out. But that's not what I get. I deserve for God in heaven to cross his arms when he looks at me, to shake his fist at me, to chew me out. But what does he do? What, what does he see when he looks at me? He sees love. He sees the blood of Christ on me, on you. How totally opposite is that to how I react to my problems? When the Lord looks at his people, he sees love. Think about that, uh, that infant child that we see, I believe it's in Ezekiel, that is, that is, that is um, laying there, stillborn, is, is polluting its own blood. It's a, it is a disturbing image. But the Lord comes to this helpless being, and he says, he looked upon thee, and it was the time of love. When, when the Lord looks at you, he sees love. And I'll close with this. And we talked about Peter already. <laughs> I think Peter is a really good example to us of what it's like <laughs> walking with the Lord. Because we, he actually walked with the Lord uh, physically. And Peter, just like all of us, he went through ebbs and flows of his relationship with the Lord. How did his relationship begin? You see that the Lord comes, and he's, he's on the seaside of, of Galilee. And first of all, he's preaching to a crowd. And I believe that, you know, this is speculation, an educated guess perhaps. I believe this was the first time that Jesus and Peter met. Because he, he steps on one of the boats to, to, to kind of preach from, to give him some space. And it says that he uh, got on one of the boats that was uh, Simon's boat. And the way that it says it in the scriptures, just, it, it seems to me as if they had never met before. That Jesus just kind of got on his boat. <laughs> and then after he gets done preaching, he turns to Simon, who had been toiling all night long. And without any success to catch any fish. Now, I know all of you have probably experienced this. If you're trying to provide for a family where you're not, you're not making ends meet with your labors. As hard as you work and you're just not quite cutting it. Think about that. Peter was frustrated after spending all night long fishing. And he didn't have a penny after that. And Jesus says... Launch out, and I want you to cast out your net one more time. And, of course, Peter, he says, well, you know, I've been doing this all night, but at thy word, I will, I will do it. He casts out the net, and then, of course, the boat starts sinking, and they have to have two boats to pull in this miracle that the Lord gave him. What was his reaction to that? Peter fell down on his face before Jesus. 
And he said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He saw himself for who he was. And what did Jesus say? He said, he said get up. You're not going to be a fisherman anymore. You're going to fish for men and follow me. And you know what they did? The scripture says that when they got onto to the land, they left their boats. This was all he knew. This was his livelihood, and he just left it. He just met this man a few minutes ago, and he leaves with him. He saw himself for who he was, and don't you know he loved Jesus? But then what happened? What happened in Peter's life, his walk with the Lord? You know, there was, there was moments where people were trying to come to Jesus, and I believe Peter kind of saw himself as the bouncer, right? You know, don't, don't bother the master. He is probably tired and hungry. He began to get a very puffed up value of himself. I am one of the foremost of his apostles. I get to walk with the Messiah. I'm special. I know this is speculation because we don't see it in the scripture, but we know he's human, right? And so this is an educated guess. But we definitely see where, you know, he, uh, he tried to push people away from, from coming to the Lord. And, of course, the Lord was always, you know, uh, suffer, them, uh, suffer them not. Let them come unto me. Even to the point where when the Lord said that he was going to die, he was going to give himself up. And that was the whole reason he came, that Peter had decided, oh, it is, it is, it is fallen to me as the chiefest of his followers to rebuke him and to tell him, oh, Lord, you know, we've got, we've got a lot more to go. And, of course, Jesus had to rebuke Satan to flee from him, right? Because that was why he came. And then you get to the end of, of, their, of their walk together. In, in Jesus' ministry. And I believe that that Peter that followed Jesus away from his boat and left his nets, I believe that that Peter would have died with him because he knew who he was. He said, I am a sinner. Depart from me. But no, you had a Peter that ran, that fled, and that even, even cursed so as to not be associated with Jesus. I believe it was because he had, he had gotten a new value in himself, right? I miss our Savior. When I face this world and I go throughout the week and I see all the craziness out there, whether it be coronavirus or whether it be riots or whether it just be the general attitude of our country or the attitude I see within myself, I miss him. I want to be with him. But I want, to, I want to enjoy my relationship with the Lord. I want to enjoy my relationship with you. I want to be able to forgive you so that we can maintain our, our friendship and our love for one another. How do we do that? You have to see yourself for who you are. If you see yourself as the Pharisee, that Jesus was talking about, the, the publican and the Pharisee. If you see yourself, well, I'll say this, if you see yourself as the publican, 
you're probably the Pharisee, right? It's very ironic. You know, it's, it is, it is, humility, humility is like silence, okay? The second that you admit it's there, it's gone. It ceases to be, right? If you think that you're the publican, guess what? You're the Pharisee. You need to come before the Lord and, and forget about all the things you've done. I mean, that's great. That's great that you're trying. It's great that you're being a disciple of Christ. Good for you. We don't give out trophies here. We don't give out gold stars. You know why we do the things that we do and we try to serve Him? It's not for any accolades that we get. It's because He loved us. That's it. That's our motivation. Your motivation in serving Him is just like that woman that came and washed His feet. She didn't, she didn't do that because she wanted some you know, brighter crown in heaven. She did that because she knew, I'm a sinner, and this is the man that saved me. So lay aside all of the things that you think you have. All of the, all of the, the thumbs up, all of the gold stars, all the things that you think you've done right. It's not good enough. All of those things are not good enough to get you into heaven. If you live perfect and righteous, you would not go to heaven. Jesus, Jesus alone saved us from our sins. I pray, I pray that I can stay in that posture my entire life. You don't have to beat yourself down. Satan will, will, will try to beat you down. It's not about that. Our God is mighty enough to save even me. <laughs> okay? I know He's mighty enough to save you. Let's live before that God. Giving Him all the glory. Giving Him all the praise for us getting to heaven. Not for some choice we made. Not for some good thing we did. But because of His grace. And because of that, we will sing to Him for all eternity. You're not going to be singing to me. I'm not going to be singing to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm praising, praise God that we will be singing together. But we will be singing to Him. He deserves all the glory. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.